0: what is up Generation? nation welcome back to another episode of ridge runners live tonight episode number 75 the tables have turned wesley harton cam wrench your favorite hosts are now in the hot seat guest hosts tonight sarah wallace and mariana greziak just killed it asking all of the great questions with wes
1: and cam so sit back relax and enjoy this amazing episode
2: get started? Okay. Well, welcome everyone to the Ridge Runners podcast. Uh, Mariana and I are super jazzed to be guest hosting tonight. Um, We'll see how this goes. Um, We're pretty excited for this opportunity. So we are turning the tables tonight and getting a chance to hear a little bit from Wes and Cam. They're usually on this side of things and they get to ask runners all kinds of questions. And now Mariana and I get a turn to quiz them a bit and to get some of their perspective on a recent race and just running in general and a few other things they may have coming up. So we're pretty excited to be here tonight um, to chat a bit with Wes and Cam. All right, so
1: we're gonna get started first. What's everyone drinking? Wes, what's uh, what's on your I've agenda tonight? I've got
3: the Roja Brewing Brewing Project, which is, that seems kind of like a someone's senior project or whatnot. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, is this like for like a grade or something like that? But it's the uh, High on the Hop IPA. It's actually pretty good, even though it's a Utah beer. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to drink that one tonight. Cam, what about you?
0: Um, so I have got the uh, Big Sky Brewing Powder Hound, And let's look at this nice little fella on the can here. I definitely did not buy this because there was a cute dog on the label. I would never <laughs> do a thing like that.
2: Fair, <laughs> Marianne, um, how do you? Well,
1: I got the uh, the Party Jam Blackberry Sour Kettle Ale from Hermit Fresh Brewing out of Vermont, and since Sarah's only drinking tea tonight, I also have the June Shine Hopical um, Citrus on standby in case I need it.
2: Yeah, I'm still kind of nursing a little bit of a sore throat from last week, but I do have my Rim to River mug. So shout out to the folks who made those beautiful mugs and um, and enjoying some nice hot tea to try to soothe my sore throat tonight. Mariana, are you gonna kick us off with our first question?
1: I got you. All right, so Wes and Kim, both of you, we just wanna hear about your running background since you know all about ours and why Rim to River? Um, both the documentary and why did you guys choose to run the race, and what does it mean to you?
3: All right, Cam, we will let you take this first one.
0: I was I was uh, waiting for you to say that.
1: You know, <laughs> um,
0: couldn't take the first one yourself. Um, but my running background—I don't um, know how many people quite know this, but it's not exactly your standard for most ultra runners. I was not a runner. Um, in high school or junior high or anything like that. In fact, I was I was on the track team in high school, and I, I threw the shot put in the discus, um, <laughs> which is a much different vibe than most of your ultra runners, I would say. Um, as Wesley's often referred to me, you know, I was a washed-up linebacker. I think even then I was already washed up. I was never that good. <laughs> um, but, you know, I um, had a, a pretty catastrophic knee injury. I'd have reconstructive surgery my my senior year, and, because of that, I spent about six months uh, going to see a physical therapist like three times a week, um, which is just a super wonderful thing to do when you're 17 years old. Um, and part of, you know, the physical therapy was just like learning how to run again um, mm-hmm. because the the ACL reconstruction um, and the other things that I had, like I fractured my kneecap, I partially tore my meniscus and my MCL too. Like it was like my leg deflated, um, like the whole thing. It was so surreal almost it was you know if you've ever felt like if you um you know like the loose skin like underneath your arm or something when you're not flexing that muscle that was like what my whole leg was like all the time um and so i had to like literally learn how to like run and like propriocept again during that period and i kind of enjoyed it because by the time i got there it meant that i was kind of coming out of things and like things were getting better i was no longer in those like early days of rehab where my rehab involved. They were like, you need to just move your kneecap around with your fingers a little bit. And that is um, one of the worst things you can do. I hated it so much. Um, and um, I, I started college then and I didn't quite fit in at college. I was a first generation student and I I wanted to stay fit. I'd always loved like exercise and weightlifting and was big into like exercise science and like mm-hmm. programming, weight training and stuff in high school. Um, but I just had no desire to do it anymore. Like there was like, I was 18 years old and I was like, I should never deadlift again in my life. This is stupid. This is pointless. I was getting no enjoyment out of it. So I, I started just kind of jogging because I I knew I wanted to stay in shape and Mm I, um, you know, wanted to sort of, you know, I, I needed to find a way that like it would work. Um, and then around that same time, I saw on Netflix, the, the Barkley Marathons documentary, The, the Race That Eats Is Young, the <laughs> one that I'm sure all of us saw probably early on yep. as ultra runners. And I, I distinctly remember thinking, because I, I grew up very outdoorsy, but it was just outdoorsy in the way of like, well, I'm just going to go walk into the woods behind the house and then we'll go from there. And kind of, it reminded me seeing what they were doing in Frozen Head a lot was like that, you know, it's like no trails, you just navigate around the woods sort of as you understand them. Mm -hmm. Um, Little did I know I'd go to frozen head this year and I was really wrong (laughs) on what that
1: that place is like, but
0: um, seeing that it then it sort of clicked in my brain that like, I can combine this thing that I I know I love and I love to spend time doing, which is just anything in the outdoors. um, But then I can combine it with running. And once I kind of put those two things together um, it just, it really clicked for me and it became this thing that I, Mm -hmm. I really love and, um, something that just really centers me. And then, you know, doing my first race, I got involved with the community and felt sort of how welcoming and wonderful. And it just, I've been hooked from there since. So long story. Uh, now it's Wesley's turn
3: yeah so kind of similar in the regards that uh i you know i wasn't a runner growing up and like actually like you know run cross country or track you know like most people did a lot of runners do i should say but um you know i was a ball sport guy all throughout my life and so i played grew up playing basketball for nine years i played baseball for nine years and soccer for 13 years Uh, Through high school and like that was kind of my main focus was just you know all of those sports growing up and just kind of being active in those ways was kind of what I kind of got my fitness and exercise for. And then in high school, I kind of realized that you know I actually kind of liked running a little bit, but not like enough to like even join the cross country team or the track team. And you know I was playing soccer and I was only down to one sport at that time, and I really could have done it. I could have probably hopped on the track team in the spring, done a different season, and. Mm What a a fun experience, but uh, I was just running, like, local 5Ks, just really kind of just getting out there. And I ran a five-mile race with my uncle one time. And after that race, he's like, hey, I'm going to train for the Cleveland Marathon and run it. And I'm like, I just beat you in this five-mile race by, like, four minutes. Like, (laughs) if you can run a marathon, I can run a marathon. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the starting point of, you know, my training for my first marathon. ran my first marathon at 16. Uh, ran four additional marathons throughout my high school career, and then in college, I kind of realized that you know marathons weren't really for me. I think my fastest time in that span was about four hours or so. So it wasn't like I was like pl- crushing these marathons out of the park, but kind of just trying to finish them and enjoy the experience. But in, with the experience that I kind of gained from those, I was just so interested in going longer and seeing what that would kind of entail. So signed up for my first fifty k my freshman year of college, did that. Uh, six months later ran my first 50 miler. And then six months after that ran my first 100k. And then six months after that, I DNF the Burning River 100. So uh, that was kind of my first setback in, in my running career. And uh, I definitely had, I had other races kind of in that progression as well, but it was kind of interesting that, you know, I realized that the hundred mile distance is a distance that's special. You know, it's nothing like, you know, 50 milers, 50 Ks. And that's kind of what uh, instantly drew me to, to that once I hit that hundred K mark. And so once I, six months after that, I did complete my first 100 miler. And so um, I was super excited to kind of go out there and finish it. And that was before Rims Forever, that was the only 100 miler that I went into with, hey, I'm finishing this race at all costs. So it was kind of neat to go back to that mindset a little bit at this race. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, I enjoyed how it played out this
1: time. Cool. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, we already have a chat question here from Paul DeFord. Um, what position in soccer, did you play West and why do you hate the cold?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did. first I played uh winger was kind of my best position uh but especially in high school just getting up and down the field I would never get tired out there and that was kind of the one thing I could pride myself on I would definitely get beat uh lose the ball and then just try to catch up to people that's kind of what I it was really the only thing I was good at in soccer now I just kind of watch it and enjoy it but I hate the cold because it, it just sucks I, I don't really have a, a reason for it I can I dress many layers and stuff like that but I love you know running in the heat summer days are my favorite Give me 90 degrees and sunny every
2: single day.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you.
2: (laughs) So I think you both mentioned kind of your background and that sort of progression that a lot of us as ultra runners experience, right? It sort of starts out with something maybe shorter and then all of a sudden things just escalate typically kind of quickly. Um, So you Know you both had that experience of doing the Rim to River documentary. What made you decide to do the race? Um, you know, that's a different thing than spending your whole day there, um, documenting and recording everybody else doing the race. But what was what kind of pushed you over the edge to make the decision to run Rim to River?
0: Um, I can lead this one off again as well. Mm-hmm. Um, give Wesley plenty of time to think about his response here. Um, but um, I, um, if I remember correctly, I was kind of the one who even floated the idea of doing the documentary, uh, about this race. I, um, I found out about, it. I forget how, I don't know if I got an email or if I just saw it on like my Instagram explore page or something, um, or if it just like came to me in a dream. Right. Um, but I somehow found <laughs> out that they were putting on a hundred miler in West Virginia. And I was like, I want to do this race. Um, and then of course 2020 being what 2020 was, um, I had two stress fractures that summer and was finishing up grad school. So I was in no way prepared to run this race. And I just kind of floated the idea in our group chat, you know, like, why don't we do this? And then next thing I know, Wesley's emailing Bryant and figuring out logistics. And I'm like, Ooh, I guess we're doing this. Um, (laughs) again, things
2: escalate really quickly with ultra runners. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I didn't even, I didn't even have the guy's contact info, you know, and then Wesley just sent a screenshot of the email after he sent it out. And I was like, okay, I guess I committed. Um, but you know, I, because I, I knew I wanted to get into it and do it. And, you know, uh, spoiler alert for those who don't know, it's like, I did not finish Room to River 100 this year, but even going into it, knowing that never having done a hundred, just seeing it, you, you kind of know, and you understand that the hundred miles is a, a special distance, like Wesley mentioned, mm-hmm. Um, And I wanted to sort of, you know, treat it right and go about this the right way. So I I signed up. You know, I stayed up till New Year's Eve only for that uh, until midnight <laughs> to sign up to put my name on the list because I I knew I wanted it to be this one. Um, and you know, no stress fractures this year, but plenty of other stuff uh, that we can talk about. But um, it was kind of you know knowing that it was going to be in West Virginia and Appalachia really holds a special place in my heart, being from you know, there in Ohio. Um, and then also what what Bryant was able to do with this race in the first year that we saw making the documentary, not even to talk about, you know, funding a nonprofit with this and the scholarships he's given out because of it, but just mm-hmm. the community feeling uh, and just the energy that was there in the very first year was yeah. unbelievable. Like you could not have told me that this was, you could have told me this race has been going on for 25 years
2: mm-hmm. and I would
0: have believed you because Agreed. that's the way <laughs> things were there on the very first year. It's like, I got to come back. Wesley's said it a few times himself. You know, this is our our 10-year thing. We're going to be here the next 10 years. I, <laughs> I'm i going to be there in some capacity next year. I doubt I'll be putting on a bib, but, you know, I'm going to be there. We're. I don't want to speak for him, but, you know, we'll see what he has to say.
3: Yeah, no, kind of going off that cam, like the one thing that, you know, like you kind of told the story about us just reaching out and trying to like create the documentary, uh, you know, it was kind of inspiring, you know, kind of inspiring. T- t- shows how uh you know the kind of person that laura and bryant are that they'd like you know even accept that you know we were basically just cold email out of the blue hey here's who we are we've like no other previous film documentary experience up to this point, but can we just come out and like bounce around all the aid stations, like, you know, give us full access, they gave us, we could go anywhere we want basically on the course and, you know, just kind of that support from them to kind of do that was something that, you know, really stuck with me and especially in a tough part of my life, you know, uh, at that time, you know, I was going through kind of a toxic work environment um, and kind of a week before the race actually happened my grandpa went in the hospice and he's kind of the one who taught me all things about video production and and films and whatnot and kind of for it was kind of a funny thing like we were talking with the group and you know he was like hey like." I basically asked him like, Hey, are you going to be okay? Like, it, uh, can I go down and do this? Or he encouraged me to go down and film this race instead of, you know, being as he joked around at me and like, Hey, I'm not going to like die this weekend. Like you can go do this, go do this. Cause this is important to you. And this is like kind of what he wanted to do. And so for me, like, you know, being able to do that and then have the whole community of Rims river there, like in the time that I needed it most, I knew I had to come back and run it as a race director or run it as a runner. And it was just so, so special to be out there this year. And yeah, it was crazy.
1: That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, I mean, I ran it last year and unfortunately couldn't, you know, put in the time commitment because of grad school, but I knew I had to come down there and that's why I faced Sarah. It's just such a special, special, you know, environment. Everything's amazing. The scenery is beautiful. And it was such a blast just even like pacing and bouncing around the aid station. So I totally get that. Um, so after the documentary, um, did you guys feel like you knew, you know, a lot about the course, the area Were you super like prepared for the race, did anything surprise you during the race?
3: I'll take this one, uh, running, a, a, creating a documentary about a race and then editing it is 100% a cheat code for <laughs> knowing the course, <laughs> like the hours and hours that kind of go into it. And then also just like seeing the different spots from multiple angles. It's the second best thing to actually running the race itself or running parts of the course. And even mm-hmm. I you could argue that, you know, the course looks different on race day than it does, you know, if you just did a training run in sept- september or whatnot. And so mm-hmm. For me to be able to see that in our whole team, you know, I, Cam can talk about this as well, but uh, I felt very comfortable at so many intersections and just at different parts and aid stations yeah. knowing exactly what the environment's gonna be like, uh, kind of through that. You know, Obviously the film was 30 something minutes, but you know we had, I don't know, 15 hours of footage or whatnot. So uh, there's a lot of other stuff that didn't get included in that. And so that was kind of a, a part that I felt incredibly comfortable with all the aspects of uh, that part of it.
2: Yeah. I probably could have used you during the race this year. Cause I kept kind of doing a, is this familiar? Do I remember this? From before? <laughs> I don't know. Did I really run this race last year? <laughs> um, I tend to do a lot of that during the race. So it is a, a nice advantage to know the course so well in and out. How about you, Cam? Yeah. Did anything surprise you?
0: I mean, yeah, it surprised me how bad I felt so early. Um, but you know, Uh, I will say in terms of like knowing the course, I I agree with everything Wesley said. It was an absolute cheat code. I did not feel like out of place ever, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like I knew what climbs were coming where, what to expect from the course, what to expect from the aid stations and everything like that. So I just, um, it was almost, it almost felt like too good in my mind. Um, Alex Jackson and Max Gavazzi are in the chat now. They were part of my crew and I was going into it like very almost haphazard I was like I don't need a plan you know like and they were like can you tell us like details please uh like we haven't been here before um but I felt I felt very good it's like I know when I'll see you I'll know kind of what I need you know at these different times and you know as Wesley mentioned you know, I did run um like 26 or 27 miles over that weekend um the year before you know we saw a long point we saw every aid station and yeah. it, it felt very familiar, even in the parts where it's like, I'm on trails that I haven't seen before. You know, you know where this story started, and then you know where the story's gonna end, right? Between yeah. the aid stations. So I very much was like, This this feels good. It's like Wesley said, it's an absolute cheat code. I think everybody should do it before their next race.
2: <laughs> Everyone should do a documentary. <laughs> for <every Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there'll be a lot of great footage to watch. That'd be excellent. I will mm-hmm. say, Cam, I think. You may have been feeling crappy, but during the race, every time I saw you, you were the most content runner out on the course. Like, I don't know if happy is the right word, but you were just seemed content. You were like, I'm here. This is where I belong. Just doing my thing. Um, It was really refreshing to see you just look so even keeled. So that may not have been how you were feeling inside, but that was how I experienced your um, emotions during the race.
0: Oh man, that's, um, that's good to know. I, I get that comment a lot where people are like, oh, you're having a bad race, like, but you look okay. And I'm like, it's not what's going on. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll attribute that to like my, my mindfulness practice that I have. Um, you know, and that like, I kind of, you know, one thing that I, I always just try to sort of like be there and, um, trail running is like a big part of it because it really kind of, it forces you to be there, you know? I mean, I can think distinctly about times in race or uh, in races or training runs where I was like not there. I was too focused on something else, and I've tripped over a rock and nearly taken a header. I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. out my window now, and across uh, the river there, going up the Hellgate Canyon Trail, like three weeks ago, I was having a bad day, and I was too focused on other things. I nearly fell like 300 feet off the side of this trail over there, okay. Um, and it's just it was it was a really great reminder, and I. I kind of my mental preparation for the race was you know like this is going to take a long time you need to just be in the moment and you know uh run the mile that you're in and not worry too much about whatever the next mile is and then i think also i wasn't letting myself sort of negative self-talk either that's been a a big change for me this year and you know growing up in sort of like football culture especially it's like a lot of negative self-talk from your teammates from your coaches as, you know, a motivator. And some people will even say that like, oh, this is a great motivator for running. And um, I hate it, it's terrible. I think no one should do it, right? You only need to be hyping yourself up, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. if even if you run an ultra and you finish last place, you're like one of the most extraordinary, ordinary people to ever exist. <laughs> um,
3: yeah.
0: And so like this idea that I'm gonna go and be in just this beautiful, incredible place around some of the most kindest, caring people who are sacrificing their own time to come out and like give me cups of mashed potatoes in the woods randomly and I'm gonna be cranky and I'm gonna be like mean to them you know like that's just such a a shitty idea and then like this idea that I'm gonna go do this just truly ridiculous thing and then I'm gonna be mean to myself during it and you Mm -hmm. know this is the thing that's supposed to make me happy why am I not happy during the action so I think that's probably kind of where that came from and I will also say the you know, the moments where I was seeing folks that I knew from, from Ridge Runner Nation, those were my, my best moments in the race, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how I was doing mentally. So maybe, you know, you couldn't see physically what I was feeling, um, or where I was at with that, but seeing people on the course really gave me like a lot of a mental lift, um, just from, you know, the different random members of Ridge Runner Nation who were all out there.
2: Yeah. I definitely feed off that a lot too. And Kim, I feel like you kind of touched on this, but Wes, were there any sort of takeaways or lessons learned for you during this race? And then I want to come back and hear from you, Cam, if there's others that you didn't get a chance to touch on, Um, because I feel like every race experience is different. You kind of walk away with these nuggets of information that you get to take with you. What was that for you this time around?
3: Yeah, for me, like this was one of the races and there's only been a couple so far in my running career where. I absolutely just went for it. Like this is an opportunity for me to kind of go outside of my comfort zone and really push myself. You know, I kind of strive for that, you know, in my personal life and you know, my life outside of running with a lot of things, but for, for running for whatever reason, it was always about just, you know, maybe it's cause of how I started, you know, how I started was just, let's just finish these distances and complete it. Cause that was, that was a big deal to me. But now it's starting to be like, okay, well how quick can we actually do this? and so this was the second time that I've kind of done that recently first time was the Shawnee 50 miler and it worked out for me that day and so this day, for this time it was you know just trying to get out there go out smart but also you know, run the race that you think you can run and uh, it was, it was, it was fun. I mean, from early on, you know, everyone took out the race super fast. Like that was the <laughs> one thing that kind of just blew me away. It's like I was running, you know, 10 minute pace through the first 20 something miles, 30 miles or what have you. And you know, there were 15, 20 people ahead of me. And you know, I remember running with Rick, Rick Homan at some point and he was like, yeah, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Just focus on what you're doing. Cause everyone's either going to come back to you. They're going to blow up, you know, something's going to happen. There's, there's no way that everything kind of goes well." All for everyone and you know that advice was really key for me in that moment because mm-hmm. you know for me especially I'm someone who puts a ton of pressure on myself uh and with running and just with life and so kind of having that having someone to calm me down in that moment early on was super helpful and the miles just kind of flew by I mean, we ran from mile 7 to 27 together and then uh kind of went our separate ways there but Yeah. For me, the lesson that I learned from this race was definitely just go for it. Even though, you know, it can be scary. You don't know how fit you're going to feel. You don't know how you're going to feel at certain points, but you know, good things happen when you just put yourself out
1: there. Yeah, absolutely. I know I saw you coming into long point at like 38 and you just looked like you were in the zone. Um, So that was really cool to see. Um, Did you experience any lows during the race? And if so, how'd you deal with that?
3: Yeah, so kind of going through the race day, like, uh, the first 30 or so were all pretty groovy. Like, uh, my fo- focus for this race was get in and out of aid stations. I had an incredible crew of uh, JD3 and his fiance Jackie out there with me. And uh, we were super efficient at aid stations. I'm talking like two to three minutes at max for the crew ones. And at the non-crew ones, I was probably less than 60 seconds at those. And so that was kind of my big thing, was just kind of keep moving through those and kind of take care of yourself. Uh, first 50 miles, I mean, it was just a party, seeing everyone on the turnarounds, the out and backs. And uh, I really enjoyed those interactions with the Bridgewater members and so many people out there on the course. The aid stations were absolutely electric. Coming down into Fayette Station the first time was incredible. Incredible. And then the second time was probably even better. And uh, that was kind of the early parts of my race. But the one thing that kind of I wish I would have done differently is probably having a pacer from 58 to 79. So mm. I did not have a pacer for that section. And, you know, that's kind of when it gets dark. So I got up to a long point for the second time. Just before the sun officially set, and thankfully, I was running with Michael Schreiber and Jamie Hanks at the time, and I kind of just like we literally told them like, "Hey, I'm just gonna hang on until I, you guys drop me," kind of thing, and <laughs> just to kind of make the, make the miles go by a little quicker and to have some uh, share some miles with someone in the dark. So that was kind of my mindset from 50 to 60. Or so they eventually went a couple miles ahead of me and came into the Arrowhead Aid Station, kind of in a rough spot not totally (laughs) out of it but just definitely wanting to get in quick get some calories and i was starting to get really cold at that time and so i was like i need to run these next nine miles pretty well to stay warm and thankfully it's a one of the more runnable sections of the course i was able to kind of do that turned on some music low volume and kind of just grind through those seven miles so overall that 21 mile section was as pretty much as Best case scenario, you could have rode it up before the race for me, but Mm -hmm. still kind of having a pacer there would have definitely helped me move probably a little quicker. And then obviously, you know, as things got dark, but it did kind of propel me for when I did pick up a pacer at 79, you know, those miles at the end kind of clipped by until mile 92 when I went at my lowest lowest moment of the race where I absolutely bonked coming out of the final climb up to uh, Concho Rim. Mm -hmm. And that was really rough. That was a tough spot. I ended up... kind of just being coming into Concho Rim taking a ton of time it was probably only six to ten minutes or so at that point culled around the fire really cold uh, eating drinking coffee and uh, trying to get as much hot food in me as I can and it was really funny uh, at the time Alyssa Chance came over to me and she's like how long have you been here and I'm like eight (laughs) minutes or so and my crew graciously said like oh it's only been like four for like they tried to like going down and like you know you're sitting down time goes really fast like I knew it was longer than how I felt and she's like okay eight minutes is long enough you got to go and I was like okay looks like I'm getting out of here and so I got up and uh and continued on and you know one or two miles later I think I just had a really uh low on calories and a couple (laughs) miles later I was feeling good ran the last couple miles of the race but um, the lowest moment for me definitely came at mile 92.
2: How about you, Cam? Before we get to a few more questions from the chat, anything else to add about lessons learned or low points?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I've got plenty of low points to pick from. Um, I do <laughs> want to say though that was just that was a pro transition there, Sarah. Um, to get you know like we'll get to the chat question soon. Like you guys are doing doing great.
1: Just <laughs> oh, to thanks.
0: Provide that yeah. feedback. I've I i do not even feel like we we prepped it all. Um, <laughs> but you know in terms of. In terms of low moments, yeah, I mean, I think, frankly, going into it, you know, like, um, I, as many people know, you know, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but 12 weeks out, I, I broke up with a long term partner, um, you know, and that was, that was a really difficult change. And I remember distinctly talking with like Wesley, uh, specifically, and then some of my other friends, like Alex Jackson, John, Nick, um, you know, being like, I, I think I'm out of Rim to River, like, I don't think I'm mentally gonna have it to train or to do this and like the immediate aftermath. And I, I remember specifically Nick giving me the advice. He was like, wait till the first week of October to pull your name off the list. Um, and by, by then I had been living in Missoula for about a month and just like, all of a sudden running was so much fun again. Um, and I was getting so much joy out. of it. I was like, okay, I have to go, you know, and I, I have to kind of give this a shot, but you know, I, I kind of came into it with not having had a great year of training or racing already, and then kind of having for, you know, those kind of more emotional reasons lost a good bit of the training I was supposed to do for this race. Um, and then going through the massive life change of moving 3000 miles across the country, um, that things did not look great going into this. In fact, I, you know, Wesley was visiting last weekend and he, he mentioned, you know, like, yeah, you were trained just like I did for grindstone. 2017 you know like putting a great six week block uh but nothing else (laughs) um and it takes it takes a lot more than that to run to -hmm. run 100 miles you know um and so the low moments really really started early on um where it was just like this feels harder than it's supposed to you know like this should be easier and it's like i'm not running fast Mm -hmm. i'm not pressing but it's Mm -hmm. hard um I think some of it in the early miles I wasn't prepared for the way being stuck in a conga line on single track makes you alter your stride a little bit, um, okay. especially in the rockier terrain I just I didn't feel like I could run quite at my own pace it was either a little too slow or just a little too fast the whole time um, and I think that's kind of where where things started by I, I mean I remember as soon as mile you know 10 being like this feels harder than, the 30 miler I did as my last big training run two weeks before this, you know, it's like, and I'm at mile 10 and that's not, you know, not to talk poorly on the new river gorge, but it's a very different kind of mountain you're in there. Um, and it just sort of, you know, from there, it just, it kept growing, you know, like, why is this so hard? Like this shouldn't be this hard, you know? And then I just, I eventually, by the time I got going up the K miners trail and I'll I'll mention I really did only have two kind of good moments in the race that I felt physically good, and that was um, climbing out of Canard, like walking up mm-hmm. that hill, and yeah. I, I'd walked the whole thing, but that felt great.
2: Uh, I like that spot a lot too.
0: Yeah, and then climbing up the Kmore Miners Trail, I felt good physically, but just like mentally I was like,
2: mm-hmm. I've
0: got 63 more miles of this, you know, like 65 more miles of this. It's like I've done – I've run 50 miles before, you know, and I've not felt this bad at this amount of time. And I just, I I kept doing all the things that I tried, you know, I kind of needed to do. I went to the aid station, drank a bunch of water, I ate a bunch of potatoes and it just, nothing, it never clicked physically. And then by the time I was, you know, um, descending down into Fayette station for the first time, it was, you know, I was like, this is just a matter of time. You know, like, I mean, like I can't start running again um, just because my body won't let me. And then mm-hmm. I also can't, it's like, I can't keep walking. Cause I'm just going to get caught by the cutoffs. And, yeah. um, you know, at, at Fayette station, uh, my lovely crew, um, and I'll give them all a shout out here, Jamie Hanks, Max Gavazzi, Amy Cruzan, and Alex Jackson. Um, they all, they did everything right, you know, and like, they got me back out there and they got me walking again. But by the time I got to 50, it was just, I had like an hour on the cutoff and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like this, this hurts too much for what it is. And then especially, I think, because going into it, I kind of, I had this attitude of like, I've got nothing to prove, you know, like this, Mm -hmm. finishing this race doesn't fundamentally change who I am or change my value or change whether or not I belong here or I deserve to be at these races or hosting the Ridge Runners show on other occasions that I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to do it in a way that you know, would have maybe kept, got me up out of the chair at that last aid station and kept me pushing, but it was, you know, like, okay, just didn't go so well. We're going to go back to the drawing board and we'll see, you know, here once I'm a little less emotionally attached to it and we'll, we'll go from there. Cause it's, it's something I want to come back and I, I definitely want to do. I'll be, you know, I think I mentioned it in the chat for our, our show with the winners, you know, with Caleb and Holly Ann, where it's like, I'll be back. It's gonna be like three to five years, you know. <laughs> we'll we'll see. But I'll I'm definitely gonna be back at this race with a bib on eventually.
2: Yeah. And I think the things you're describing are super relatable. Um, the idea of like when you just know, you know, like it's not feeling right. This usually feels easier. No one would say running a hundred is easy, but you kind of know that feeling in your gut when it's not going how it should be going for you. Um, and that's really hard to pull yourself out of and this. And I think a lot of runners also can relate to how we run to escape some emotional challenges. And then also emotional challenges affect our running um, deeply and in in ways that actually end up being quite physical. So I think all the things you're talking about, Cam, are so relatable. That is a question that keeps showing up in the chat. I think you're seeing it too. People want to know, are you going to be back to the 100 distance? So you said rim to river maybe in a few years. Is the hundred on her, the horizon for you? Um, another hundred, and then what's the other? A warhammer in twenty twenty two.
0: Yeah, um, a hundred is on the radar. It's it's a special distance, and I I am committed enough to myself and my goals and this community that I know that's excuse me that's something that I want to do. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me again. I don't I don't have a timeline for it. You know, yeah, um, and I, I joke around three to five years. That's like you know, the mail get here in three to five business days. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say that's the um, most
2: generic <laughs> answer, it won't like, yeah. be forever, it's <laughs> yeah. not gonna be right away. You could,
0: if if my boss, you know, uh, calls me on Microsoft Teams tomorrow during the work day, you know, and Kathleen is like, Hey, like, when are you gonna attempt another 100 miler? I'm like, Yeah, we'll see you in five years, you know, um, but. Yeah, no, I'm I'm going to come back to the distance. I don't have anything on the calendar for that distance there just because I think both physically and mentally I'm not I'm not quite ready for it. Um, and that was the the big lesson I'm taking away from Rim to River and it's not it's not a judgment on myself in any way, positive or negative. It's just I'm not ready and I'm going to I'm going to learn over the course of the next few years what it kind of feels like to be ready. Um you know, and then when that comes, you know, Bryant, catch me on, you know, January first at midnight. I'll I'll be back. Um and then about about Warhammer, um, I would love to go back to the Sheltoe trace area just in general. I, I think it's wonderful. I, I love backpacking too, but I I don't know if I can justify flying back east that often, um, for races. because uh, mm-hmm. with what our schedule potentially looks like on like, <laughs> these things, you know. Um
3: Sheesh. Yeah. Down goes the shoddy 50 thing.
2: Um, <laughs> Are those metals yeah. falling down in the background? <laughs> yes, <my laughs> life, that's one of
0: Wesley's. My life is, is in shambles.
2: <laughs> he's, got, he's got
0: such a nice apartment, too. He I feel like that's stay a bad luck or
2: something. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's
3: it's wild.
2: There was yeah. a uh, a couple other questions. Um, one was, did either of you film at all this year?
3: There was no During Yeah. N- nope. I can't. Do you go live from Instagram on uh, a long point? Like you said you were, I, uh, I joked around about that um, with the crew, you
0: know, I was going to do an Instagram update out from on long point. Cause you know, Wesley was, it was going to be going way too fast to do that. We couldn't, we couldn't <laughs> put that on him, but no, I did not um, long point. I, I didn't even take a picture at long point. Even I just, <laughs> I kind of wanted to just be there when I was there and focus on just, you know, everything I was feeling. And of course, where a long point was is you just heard me describe my race. I kind of knew at that point, you know, um, and I had just seen uh, Jessica Copelits on the way. I was heading out. She was heading back, um, and Jamie Oni as well. Where um, you know, it felt really great to see them out on the course. Um, but it was just like, I just kind of know how my day is going, you know. Um, so no, no, no content was created. I, I mean, I left the GoPro in Montana. Um, wasn't was never part of the plan for us to like film yeah. on race day.
2: I think it's nice to kind of have that division, you know, between what you're doing, um, depending on your purpose for being there. Well, I want to do one more chat question. I feel like I kind of need to because it's one of my pacers, my pacer who brought me into my fin- the finish line this year, who I have a love hate relationship with at the moment because <laughs> that was a lot of sprinting at the end that I was promised I wouldn't have to do again. Um, but Don asked about Arbuckle Creek and. What's the cheat code for getting across without falling in? And he says he's three for three on almost falling in. I'm pretty sure he got a good dunk this year. Um, He went ahead of me and dunked himself in. And so I could kind of gingerly walk across and not feel bad about how difficult it was for me to get across this year. You guys have a good cheat code for Don? So
3: I'll tell you. That's all you, Wes. (laughs) You, You did make it to the first one but I I did (laughs) I did uh, so the first time I went through it I just went right through the water like just right up to the high ankle or whatever I guess maybe mid-calf or whatnot, what but I just wanted to go right through it, didn't want to bother, and uh, I was running with Rick at the time, and he just like pranced right along a rock and just made it look super easy, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, like, he kept his feet wet and it he was, he was awesome, but I was like, I just can't do that right now, I need to like, not focus on falling in the water, but on the way back, totally different mindset in the middle of the night, I was like, Michael Owen, he was my pacer at the time, uh, I was like, listen, you, you need to do something creative here, like, you need to figure out what the best rock formation is, like, mm-hmm. left, right, let's make a game plan, here let's run like a, a play in soccer or something like that so luckily i had the agility to hit two rocks and, and make it over the second time with not uh, touching the water so i was proud of i was proud of that
2: i like how your return trip is better when i think 99 percent <laughs> of runners are like gingerly managing their way out like really like a gazelle and then the way back is kind of like oh <laughs> what do i even do about this but Wes is like no 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 i got yeah. it on the way back yeah no problem
1: <laughs> um so this one's for Wes. I know during um, Holly Ann and Caleb's show, you were keeping what you were eating during the race a secret until tonight. So tell us about it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so I I should preface this by like saying, don't take nutrition advice from me. I'm not like an expert on this and you know, I'm still a lifelong learner in the nutrition subject when it comes to ultra running. But this race, I did kind of hit it out of the park for me, which isn't always the case. And uh, I did have the gnarly in my handheld, which was awesome to get those liquid calories in. I was basically taking that drink a bottle between all the aid stations. I had just one soft glass of water up in my front pouch, and I honestly hardly even touched that throughout the day. Sometimes I'd go through it, sometimes it would be totally full when I entered the aid station. But outside of that, I used the spring energy gels, probably again, about one per aid station. So probably Mm -hmm. just about like one, more than one, less than one an hour, I'd say for that. And then on top of that was just the solid food. So the quesadillas were absolutely incredible. I did that for the first 58 miles. And then I think going up, from Fayette again. That's how I made the transition to the mashed potatoes. And that was a big transition for the rest of the day is just doing mashed potatoes the rest of the race. And so that was kind of my game plan. I think I had coffee and maybe some soup at um, Concho Rim when I was really struggling there at the end. But uh, overall nutrition wise for me, it was a pretty pretty awesome day and I was thankful for that.
1: Did you have a warm cookie from Buddy the Elf at uh, the Arrowhead station?
3: I honestly, I forget what they had. And we were talking about, I, we, I came in and I was like, are those meatballs? <laughs> and, and they were like, no, but we should get meatballs for next year. And uh, I forget what they were called, but they were like some snack thing that was in a ball shape.
1: Oh, and the protein bombs. I had protein. like five of them, even though I was pacing for 20 miles. They were epic.
3: Yeah. I, I left with like a bunch of those. Like those were <laughs> absolutely incredible. I Wait, no you thought where.
1: they were Meatballs?
3: Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were like peanut butter, right? Yeah, they had like M Ms and peanut butter. They were. I found one in my running vest the other day, and I tried to eat one, and it was it was a little stale, but oh.
3: yeah, it was just like a meatball shit, like not like a big meatball, like you know, the mini mini ones, like nothing crazy. But I just thought it was like a little meatball. <laughs> but you guys, uh, don't was...
0: do uh, M Ms and meatballs where y'all live. That's a big Burton, Ohio thing, you know. Oh
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's. <just> <laughs> Um, so Cam Alex Jackson wants to know if you're going to pace him next year, and also from our questions, what is something that you can't leave an aid station without?
0: Um, so we'll I'll kind of combine these. The answer is yes, Alex. Um, you sign up for Rim to River next year, I'm 100% there to pace you. Um, because this then ties into something I can't leave an aid station without, but you'd think there's a lot of mining in Montana, too, like West Virginia. that, Pepperoni rolls would have also made it here. Um, they have not. Um, that's something that needs to come west. Less... I don't know who can arrange this for me, but it, it needs to happen. Um, but I will one hundred percent be there. And the thing that I can't leave an aid station without is if it's Fayette Station, I'm not gonna not eat as many pepperoni rolls as I can fit into my hands. Um, in part because I had to get on a connecting flight even. Come on. Like, I'm not gonna go to West Virginia and not take advantage of that. So Yeah, pepperoni rolls is your answer.
2: I think you should use the Mariana strategy and like tuck a bunch of them in and then just take them on the plane with you. Go for it. Definitely. I was like, Sarah, in case you need any
1: of these, like I got them, I got you. And she's like, no, I'm good. And I was like, okay, I'm
2: just going to eat them.
3: Like they're definitely for Sarah. Don't worry, aid station workers.
2: Definitely. How about you, Wes? Um, Can't you leave an aid station without? I'm sorry.
3: I think just... Yeah, whatever the game plan is for that day. So there was definitely some things I did leave an aid station without, but it didn't, like a battery one time and some other, head, nothing crazy, like a headlamp or whatnot. But uh, for me, it's just, I guess, focusing on whatever um, feels good at the time. So there's no, like, one thing. Sometimes it's Coca-Cola. Sometimes it's, you know, quesadillas. And the funny thing is, like, I hate quesadillas and PB&J right. on the regular day-to-day basis. I'm <laughs> willing to put that out there. Peanut butter's the worst. I know. I know. I said it. But, like, at a race environment, in the ultras, I just, like, love that food. And so, in training runs especially. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, I save for race day so I can enjoy them at aid stations. Fair.
1: Cool. Um, how about what ball sport do you think that you could beat most ultra runners in? We'll ask Cam first.
0: Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't think they're... I really don't think there is one. Um, I feel inclined to like want to say football, but like that's that's just not true. I wasn't that good of a football player, um, and also just like I don't. I just I, my mindset is so different. Like I can't imagine trying to tackle somebody at this point in my life. You know, um, <laughs> even in like a life or death situation, I'm like I probably can't do that anymore. My um, I I strategy to
3: think, was like to get people to the ground if you're going to fight them. I've heard you say this like a thousand times now.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, but that's not a ball sport. That's just, that's like a tackle, though. (laughs) No, that's, I wrestled too. That's not a ball sport. Trust me. It doesn't count. I promise. (laughs) It's, it's a different thing. I I can show you. Um, But if I got to go with one, I think I'm just going to go really surreal and pick one that I think neither of us are going to have any experience in. And I'm going to win with dumb luck. So my answer is going to be cricket.
2: Oh, that was unexpected.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. How about you? I like that. Uh, so I don't want to like, you know, brag or anything like this, but I am going to say this answer because I wholeheartedly believe it, that I could beat every single ultra runner at every single ball sport. I think, you know, there's a lot of runners that I can't beat at running. There's That's 100% guaranteed. But ball sports, I, I'm going to take myself every single time. So if you want to play me and, you know, whether it be soccer or ping pong, tennis, pickleball, basketball, football, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Let's uh, let's set something up and we can get a Ridge Runners Ball Sports Challenge. I'd love to uh, make it happen with some Ridge Runners Nation members.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty I think sure. Challenged... <laughs> oh, I'm I'm I on. was going to say, I'll challenge you to soccer. Boom. Bring it. There we go. PK's so, best. I'll stand on the sidelines and watch because I'm pretty sure back in middle school, some ball sport coach was like, can you please take her on like the track team or something? Because she can't do this this isn't working this basketball baseball no thank you make her go run i got kicked out
1: of ballet and put into soccer and i did much better yeah yeah Yeah.
0: kicked out of ballet like that's supposed to kick people in ballet literally
1: (laughs) it was bad yeah so like i just remember like at my dance recital my mom and my sister were sitting in the middle of the front row and they were just laughing at me. And yeah, I just, I got kicked out and I found soccer. So it's probably for the best, but still
2: pretty bad. Not always known as a coordinated bunch. Um, There is something I've been super excited to ask you guys. So, you usually ask most of the guests on the show, oh, you both looked really nervous for a second
0: there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what do we usually ask? <laughs> I was like, we ask questions.
2: <laughs> that I is interviewed? part of the format, at least what I've heard anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, you usually ask a, like a, a dream person, anyone in the history of time, who would we run with? And I want to ask you, who would be your dream podcast guest? Um, maybe a runner I mean that's kind of your thing but if not a runner who would be your dream guest on a podcast
3: okay I'm gonna let you take this one
0: okay um I actually we um I did uh represent Ridge Runners on uh the Texas um Outlaw Outland something the Texas something running show uh with Briston Rains. I forget the name of it off the top of my head and I I also think he changed it um but he, he asked the same question, and um, the answer I gave then is not the answer you want to hear, Sarah. Um, but it was, I just want to have on whoever the community wants to have on. I don't really see or understand Ridge Runners as sort of like my podcast or like my mm-hmm. platform. Um, I'm just kind of like a guy who, you know, because of my academic background, I have interviewing skills. Um, and then because of the tech stuff that Wesley and John can do, you know, I get to go live on YouTube and ask people these questions, and then hopefully represent this community that I care about so much, and ask the uh, the questions that they want to ask. Which is why I love doing this live and having a live chat where anybody can kind of chime in and you know let me know what I'm not asking and what they want to know. Um, so that's sort of that's my like stock answer. Um, if I did have a a Cam Wrench Side podcast, right? I think um, the answer is going to be. Um, Mike Foote or Knox, Knox Robinson. Um, I just I admire them both so much. I mean, obviously, like Mike, I'm a guy who moved from Ohio to Missoula without knowing anybody. But um, the way that he's talked about like his his recovery from eating disorders and his mental health struggles, and then also the way that you know he really cherishes like vulnerability amongst men um, really speaks to me and is something that I really want to try to emulate in my own life um so you know it's, it's also weird because i look up to him a lot and i've just like seen him around town it's kind of strange he's taller than you'd expect um but you know where it's i i both do kind of have him on this pedestal and i want to recognize that he's he's a normal human being that mm-hmm. i could just like see at the grocery store like after this show ends um yeah but you know that that's the answer if i'm answering mm. totally for myself uh selfishly
3: well, we're going to get Cam his own show eventually. He was talking about how uh, Nick Voss is the only one that has his own show named after him, and Cam was feeling a little left out. So you know, maybe in five years from now, we can get Cam his own uh, side podcast. But uh, for me, if I had to pick a guest... Uh, someone that I want to have on the show to kind of have his dream celebrity. You know, it's going to be a similar answer to Cam here. It's the 74 people we had on previous to tonight's show that come on weekly and share their stories with us and uh, to progress, allow me to progress as an ultra runner. You know, a lot of these episodes, you know, I'm on it live and I'm listening Uh, obviously and asking the questions, but I oftentimes, and I'd say 99% of the time, go back later, you know, whether it be a day or two later and re-listen to the episode because it's different when you're on it versus when you're actually like engaging as a listener. And so for me, I've taken so many things from different people. And even like most recently, like Carol Youngblood, she was talking about like visualizing her race out and you know, all the prep work that goes into her hundred mile planning. And I use that two weeks later. I went all in on, you know, making all this twenty five page spreadsheet basically for all my crew info. That was pretty egregious, I do I will say. But you know, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that like, you know, I'm I'm improving as an ultrarunner. Because I have the opportunity to be on here with Cam, John, and and Nick every week, so that's something I'm thankful for. But you know, if I did have to give a someone that I'd love to have on here, it'd be Sally McRae. You know, I think she's an incredible runner. Who you know, not albeit East Coast, but I think she would be an incredible person to kind of learn from and have a conversation with. I do I want to point him. out,
0: Wes, that we've had uh, more than seventy-four guests because you know,
3: usually like a couple
0: per show. But I do, you know, I I do also agree with your sentiment. I think you hit the the nail on the head. We are learning so much by being guests. And, you know, I distinctly remember being at Rim to River and being like, I feel so bad right now. And then like thinking like, yeah, well, you know, like Jason Roop just did this, you know, like thinking, you know, oh, like, do you remember like Tracy Falbo? Um, Throwing it way back um, where she talked about, you know, her her walk up song, 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton, a song that I, I love, by the way. Where she's like, some days, you know, like her race at Canal Quarters like you just have to clock in. You're not gonna feel good, but you got to do it anyway. And I remember thinking that it's like, can I have this day where I just, I just clock in, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And I'm gonna do it even though I don't feel good. Obviously, it didn't quite work out, but you know, just you learn. I've learned so much, and I've, frankly, I'm so much of a better runner because of the guests that we have on this show. It's been really incredible.
3: Kind of going off that real quick too. I, I remember there were a couple ones I was listening to kind of get my mindset right for the hundred miles, the hundred mile distance specifically. And Rachel Spalding was talking about specifically about how she just never had a low moment during her hundred miles. And I was like, okay, well that sounds like a cool thing. I should I should try that. And then uh, Katie Rosar talked about on her episode. She was like, uh, yeah, you know, once I got to mile eighty, you know, I was my mindset shifted. Like, you know, once you get to eighty, it's easy because the last twenty miles of a hundred mile are the easiest. And so once I hit mile eighty at the race, I was like, oh, the last twenty miles, it's the easiest. Yes, that's what it's supposed to be it. <laughs> you know, it's it's just crazy to kind of, you know, take little tidbits from so many people and apply them in your own ultra running career.
1: That's really cool. Yeah, it's also interesting like the things we tell ourselves to get us through that like we just lie all the time, but it's cool <laughs> kind of we just lie. <laughs> Don't listen so true. to us, we're so just <laughs> Literally. But, um, so Wes, there's a lot of, uh, chatter on the chat about taking you on for uh, a soccer match. So just so you know, that might be in the works, but, um, Caleb Bowman wants to know, um, what's next for you, Wes? Probably because he wants to sign up for the same race and beat you, but, um, <laughs>
3: you know caleb i'd love to uh you know race you again and you know hopefully it happens sooner than later um you know maybe we can pick some distance like a 40-yard dash you know i think that's possibly something i could i could maybe take you in maybe not though (laughs) if i I had to think but what's next for me i am honestly not entirely sure yet what 2022 looks like uh, in terms of my running calendar Um, i will say that this year i only towed the line twice at two races, but I attended 10, attended in paced, 10 other ultras this year. So a total of 12 ultra experiences this year, two starting. So I think I want to make that more of like a six and six uh, endeavor for next year. And I'm actually excited to start off this year running the Arches 50K in January. So oh, awesome. I'm starting uh, this year off with a 50K race in Southern Utah come January, kind of just to get things going um, and go from there. But Um, Yeah, that's kind of my big one. OBU, I'm... If you go on the entrance list, you can see my name that uh, I'm technically signed up for that one. But uh, the Ridge Runners, we missed out on our weekly meeting yesterday, and we're trying to kind of figure out some uh, details in regards to something kind of special that we could do with that race. So, you know, if something kind of takes place in that way, I'll actually not be running that race because I'll be involved regardless. But that's one where I'm probably never going to miss that race because that's such a special backyard ultra in the history of it. So running plans, that's kind of what I got for now.
1: Well, um, since you always ask everybody what their walk-up song would be, um, let us know what that would be.
3: All right, Cam, impressions on you.
0: Okay, that's good. Um, so I, uh, when I made that playlist, right, I, I remember I initially asked um, just a few random folks uh, for a couple songs. I didn't want to have an empty playlist because I, I came up with the idea before um, the Cascade Crest 2020, or not Cascade Crest, I'm sorry, Canal Corridor 2020 episode. <laughs> Wrong CC. Um, but, you know, uh, before that episode, so I, I put a song of my own on there and I remember I put on uh, Bendiciones by Bad Bunny, uh, which is a wonderful song. Uh, and it, but it kind of changes the whole vibe uh, when you put randomly reggaeton on a playlist where the rest of the music is in English. Um, so I think I'm gonna give uh, a more on-brand edition and I'm gonna say uh blinding lights
3: by the weekend
2: mm. nice. all right
3: a good choice i did not think you gonna go that direction
2: <laughs> i like that cam still surprises you though Wes. oh he,
3: he surprises me daily <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know what he's getting up to but uh for me my walk-up song this has been the hardest question that i've been you know thinking about for almost seven days since we decided to do this live show and you know i could go so many different directions with it and you know originally like i was gonna throw a country song on there because there's not enough country on this playlist i will say and you know mile 70 when i turned on the music for seven miles i did listen to you know Florida georgia line luke bryan you know my uh my guys to get me going a little bit but if i had to pick one song to go on the playlist it's uh just the dream by nelly
2: nice all right good picks Cool. All
1: right. One last question before we get to another question in the chat. Um, Would you rather fight one chicken on one day or day (laughs) one, two chickens on day two? You know how the story goes. Or uh, 365 chickens on the 365th day or um, fight one mountain lion after training for 365 days and you get a... a sword and a shield of armor, which one would you choose?
0: I feel like I've already made my choice known on on this one. And it's mountain lion 10 times out of 10. I think if I've got a year to train, it's fine. I'm not worried about it at all. And then the other thing is, you know, everybody is overestimating their ability to kill chickens with their bare hands. And then they're overestimating their mental health and their mental strength. I couldn't murder that many animals personally and still be (laughs) mentally put together. You know, and then just their time. You're not, you, you can't run, you know, you can't like be a person and kill 120 chickens in a day. And then you've got to wake up and do that all again tomorrow. I could train, you know, like 50, I've trained 15 hours a week when I put in peak weeks, you know, just turn all of that into a mountain lion training. And then, you know, the fight's over in five minutes and I'm dead and death is a thing that I've accepted. It's inevitable. Or I just killed a mountain lion with a sword um, and I probably have some explaining to do to like the Montana fish and wildlife, uh, department, but you know, I'm fine and I can go back to running.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, you, you it that up perfectly, Cam. If you're not, if you're not pro mind line on this one, uh, you're doing it wrong. So I'm with you on that.
2: Awesome. Um, well, I wanted to ask one of the questions that you always ask your guests, um, which is if you could run with a person any one person in the history of the world, who would that be? Want to take it first, Cam? Oh, oh
3: I was, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, oh, you, you, like, you, I, I was going to think yeah, about this maybe, one.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we'll give you some time to think about it. Um, the answer is my grandma. Um, she passed away in 2016, uh, 50 days actually after uh, my grandfather, her husband passed away, um, 50 days to the day. And I spent, uh, because my grandfather was, was very sick, I spent you know, um, the last two or three months of his life, uh, living with her and caring for him. And just because she wasn't physically able to do all the things, you know, like getting him up and out of the wheelchair and stuff, you know, that I, I could do for her. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was a really difficult time for, for everybody involved. But my, my grandma, she, um, she was having her own health issues actually at the time and that she, she kept secret from everybody actually to kind of, keep everybody together and focus on caring for my grandfather because he, you know, couldn't care for himself at all. Basically in that time we were literally spoon feeding him. Um, and I just, when I found out about it, because it was, you know, that's why she passed on 50 days after him, you know, that, um, a lot of what I've I've thought about since then is the kind of, the kind of strength and, uh, um, you know, just sort of like courage that it takes to do, something like that for then so long while you're also having this person that you've, um, excuse me, dedicated your life to and with, um, you know, dying in this way that I, I want to get that chance to talk to her about it again, you know, and, um, she would not understand it. She did not understand running. She would not want to go running, you know, um, she grew up very poor in rural Appalachia and would not have just, you know, like, why are you running through the woods you could be doing so many other things, you know? Um, but then I think, you know, the chance to get to hear from her about, you know, why she did that and the kind of courage that that took. Um, but then also to talk to her about what has changed for me and how I've, how I've grown in about you know, the past five years and all the changes that I've gone through and everything that I wanted to tell her and talk to her about, you know, that's, I would, just be so special to me. So that, that's the answer, my grandma. Yeah.
2: I love that answer, Cam. And I love the idea of using the idea of a run to get more time and the opportunity to talk with someone that you care about so much. And then also to drag her out into the woods against her will and make her go for a run (laughs) run with you, even though she's this person who obviously means so much to you. So I love every aspect of that. That's Mm -hmm. lovely. Yeah. And it's,
0: it's not that my grandma is, you know, Anti going out into the woods, you know, I mean, we've got pictures of her. I always, I always laughed and I used to joke with her. We've got pictures of her like bow hunting, you know, she was not your typical like 1960s housewife.
2: Oh, Um, got it. Yeah.
0: But you know, she, I mean, she literally looked like if you dressed Barbie up in GI Joe's clothes, you know, it was so funny, but you know, she, she would spend time out in the woods, but it was, you know, just running through them, you know, would be a big change for her and then just running in general, you know, was a thing that she wouldn't understand as a hobby.
3: But yeah. Yeah, and then kind of for me, kind of along the same sediment, it would be my mom. I lost her at a young age, so uh, I always just kind of heard stories, you know, she was a pretty awesome cross country runner and uh, she was a pretty good endurance athlete as well. she would She's biked across I think, Ohio, the state of Ohio a couple times. So uh, that would be the person for me that if I could have one run uh, with someone, it would definitely be my mom.
2: It's great to see so how, cool. yeah, that I think, you know, inspires and influences both of you to think about how you would spend that time out in the woods. Um, that's great. Well, I know Mariana, Mariana and I are struggling a little bit because we're running out of time, but there's so many things we want to ask. So we're going to try to keep ourselves focused to just two more questions. Um, I'm going to ask one from the chat, a question from Josh about Ridge runners. What are any Ridge runner projects that are in the pipeline for 2022. Any more thoughts about race documentaries? You kind of hinted that there might be something coming up. Um, so yeah, what plans can you tell us about for the next year or so?
0: Yeah, um, go for it, Cam. We, I don't, I don't know what we want to commit to, but uh, <laughs> you know, this is um, recorded. Yeah, I know. It's a lot right? of ideas. A lot of ideas. Yeah. There's yeah, and we we need to have a meeting. And I just I know Wesley in the way he is. He's gonna he's gonna clip this and throw this up on Instagram in like four days. You know, like what can you expect from the Ridge Riders in 2022? <laughs> yeah. um, so what I'm gonna say is um, that we are up to something. Um, mm. And you know okay. you might see us at our our usual hunts. You know Wesley already talked about Ohio's backyard ultra. We might be close friends with that Arlen Glick guy. Uh, we'll see. You know that might be the same weekend as the Missoula marathon. I don't know. We've maybe done some preliminary looking at dates and such, but you know, we'll uh, we're going to leave it open, but also um, as we did last year, come December, we're going to open up a, you know, kind of a year in review survey. We want to hear from all of y'all and I'll, I'll get to work on that probably, you know, soon enough. And if there are documentaries that you guys want to see or places where you want to see coverage, you know, like, Hey, there's this really cool race in Alabama you know that nobody's ever been to but it's on the east coast it doesn't get any media coverage and there's all the media coverage in the world we'll see i know wesley's got a frequent flyer card um we're gonna get out and we're gonna get around uh because we're up to something
3: yeah and kind of just piggybacking off that you know this year we're uh we've got two more films currently in post-production right now in the uh, editing world. So we've got the Grand Tetons adventure from our whole 36-mile circumnavigation there. So that'll be released in the coming months as well as JD3's story of his uh, first 100-mile Road to 100 kind of final uh, documentation. You know, we were out there for Burning River 100 and Canal Corridor 100, so we have, like I said, hours and hours of footage, uh, and that should be another awesome story to kind of keep your eyes on. But yeah, going past that, Like I said, we're up to something and, uh, yeah, it would be, we'll be good to see what's up in 2022.
1: Can't wait to see it. Well, a fitting way to end this episode would be a question from Bryant Baker, the race director of Rim to river 100. So for both you guys, um, if somebody asks you, uh, what is Rim to river like, and you can only answer in one sentence, go.
0: Um, I'll go ahead and start. Um, That seems to be the trend here, but um, (laughs) what I'm going to say is it's going to piggyback from Leslie's thing that he said in his prediction video, but it's, um, and especially as somebody like me who didn't grow up in a really healthy family environment, um, it's Rim to River 100 is a family reunion where you actually love your whole family.
1: That's, oh, that's awesome that's, Solid. that's a lot
3: better than anything i'll come up with but i will take 50 percent credit on the front end of that but <laughs> you in,
1: <laughs> you started it you know <laughs> uh
3: if i had to say you know rim the river 100 is the best decision you'll ever make so if you're, if you're considering doing a 100 mile distance that's the one to do
2: yeah and all of a sudden none of us can get into the race again <laughs> I'm going to
0: have to email Brian when I finally come back. Like, Can you please save me a spot? Yeah,
2: seriously.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like I know it's a lottery now, but come on.
1: Yeah. I definitely think it's going to sell out faster and quick, faster every year. Quick. Yeah, cuz the word is
2: spreading, so
3: Are you guys yeah. going back next year to run, to pace, to crew?
2: I expect I'll be there in some form or another. I don't know about racing it again. We'll see. Um who knows? Uh, yeah, I would love to. Uh,
1: just depending on how my program goes, I'll be in clinicals. Um, so they don't really tell us much. It's very unpredictable. I could be working like 80 hours a
2: week in the hospital. So,
1: but that I'd seems love to super change.
2: conducive to doing a 100.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's like the I same mean, thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I felt after crewing and pacing and then coming back and taking an exam at 8 a.m. the next morning, but
2: it's cool. Yeah. I think from the very first moment last year, being on that course, I just knew I'd want to keep coming back. Definitely. Um, I don't know exactly in what form that's always going to be, but I do hope to get to come back um, again.
1: I will say the crewing and pacing scene was very enjoyable without having to like, you know, run the hundred miles. So I'll
2: definitely be back (laughs) to do that at least. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you guys so much for being open to this. Um, it's hard being on the other end and you guys are both very vulnerable and um, I just appreciate your willingness to let us ask you the questions and um, answer some of the questions that are coming in the chat. You never know what's going to come in. And um, it, it's it been really fun to get to chat with you guys and get to know you a little bit more. And I think I want to speak for kind of everyone that I think It just is really exciting to get to hear things from your perspective, instead of just having you guys ask the questions all the time. So thank you um, for this opportunity and um, for being willing to kind of take a risk and try something new.
3: Yeah, and to follow that up thank you for the idea you know for regeneration members that don't know like sarah pitched this idea to us and once we kind of got the idea we were like yes we're going to do this uh and we just felt incredibly honored that you you wanted to come on here and hear our stories so thank you both of you for uh for allowing us to do so
1: yeah thanks for having us and it was really cool to learn about your background because you know about so many other runners backgrounds but i feel like we don't hear about you guys so I think that was really cool for everybody to hear like Sarah said and we really appreciate it it was, it was much more enjoyable being on this side I'm not gonna lie <laughs>
2: yeah
3: <laughs> 100% <laughs> well
2: thanks guys I can't remember is there something official we're supposed to do to wrap up
0: <laughs> no I uh, I think we're good on that note um, subscribe to the channel if you've made it this far and you aren't I don't, I don't know what you're doing here still but you know Um, And then give us all uh, a follow on Instagram, Strava, all the social medias. Um, And we're going to be back with you for the next uh, episode of Ridge Runners Live.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you, guys. Thanks.
3: Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning into another Ridge Runners Live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Nation.